Are you ready to scale your business in a way that's aligned with your soul and profitable? I'm Casey Rossi, a business and leadership coach. I've been a full-time entrepreneur for 30 years and love business. I help conscious leaders increase their impact and optimize their lives. Join me each week for tips and deep conversations on cultivating confidence, increasing your visibility, elevating your vibration, and leading with purpose without burning out. Let's go. My guest today is Gerald Leonard. Gerald is an international keynote bassist and culture change expert. His programs integrate music, productivity, workplace culture, and neuroscience. I loved my conversation with Gerald because of this unique mashup between music and leadership. We talk about how diversity and inclusivity are arising more in today's world. Also, the number one thing to be aware of and implement when it comes to culture change, how we as high-achieving leaders can get a sustainable competitive advantage, and a few other unique parallels between a great jazz ensemble and building a high-performing business. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Gerald, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Casey. I'm really excited because out of 147 episodes, you are my first male guest, so welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. (laughs) I was very intrigued with the mashup that you have in your field between music and leadership. Yes. Things that are very near and dear to my heart. I play piano and I love to sing, and so... I know we're going to have an excellent conversation. I would appreciate it if you could introduce yourself in your own words to the listeners who are new to you. Okay. Well, my name is Gerald Leonard, and I am a professional bassist and a certified business consultant. I own a couple of companies, one called Turnberry Premier, which is a strategic project program, portfolio management, and IT consulting firm, and it's a minority-based business, as well as Leonard Productivity Intelligence Institute which is an online magazine called Productivity Intelligence. In both of my businesses and my book, I integrate productivity, workplace culture, and neuroscience in the core concepts of what I teach and consult in. But I also, in my books, I use music as the metaphor because I did my bachelor's and master's in music, master's at Cincinnati Conservatory in classical music and studied a year at at Juilliard after that with my teacher's teacher and uh, played professionally in New York. And so after being in the field of IT for a long time and still playing professionally, I started seeing the synergy between music and business and high-performing music teams and high-performing business teams and saw that there was a correlation between the two and started writing about it and one of my clients. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait to dive into those parallels and correlations. But first off, I just want to rewind because you mentioned minority business, and I'm very curious to see your thoughts or hear your thoughts on how you envision diversity and inclusivity arising more in today's marketplace and businesses. Yeah, I think at this point in time, the nation's conscience has been pricked, right? Um, I think there was like the perfect storm, you know, not to mention the George Floyd situation, But I think it was the catalyst with the perfect storm of the pandemic and the perfect storm of the the economy and just so many other things that were going on. 
And previous to that, when you had any kind of situation that happened like that, that created some, some form of an uprising, you didn't have millions of people sitting at home feeling like they can't breathe because they were on lockdown because of the pandemic. They, were, they lost their job. They had family members that were dying. Um, they couldn't go anywhere. They could, you couldn't travel internationally. It was like the whole world had been put in timeout. And so when those words came out, I can't breathe, I think it resonated across the globe for everyone because in some form or fashion, everyone felt themselves in a position where they couldn't breathe. You know, I, again, I can't reach out and go see my mom. I can't see my grandma. I can't go to work. I'm not sure how I'm going to hold on to my home. And there was so much pent up demand or frustration or turmoil that it resonated and people, albeit against their own health reasons, went out and marched and did other things. And so I think it just pricked the conscience. And then when it comes to business, I think it made corporations a lot more aware of the need for diversity and just how the minority cultures, how much they spend from a business perspective, and that they can't be ignored from that perspective anymore and do, do well in business. Plus, the, the demographics of our society is changing. There's so many more women in business that we have to really take consideration and be a lot more aware and sensitive to that, as well as the diversity. And companies that are diverse are more innovative. Absolutely, 100%. I have a question for you because a lot of our listeners are solopreneurs yep. and may just be a team of one. And in that, how can we take steps and initiatives towards diversity and inclusivity? You know, I mean, for the most part of my consulting practice, I was a team of one. And it was being a team of one, but seeing yourself as being able to build something of significance. I remember when I first started, I used to go to a roundtable, two roundtables. One was a CEO roundtable of small business CEOs who had staff, brick and mortar, and I would hear all the headaches and everything they're going through. And it was kind of like a, you know, let's look everyone out and, and figure out how to get to the next level of leading. And then I would go to like the, the National Speakers Association meetings because I was a part of the National Speakers Association. And I got to meet, you know, Bill Cates, Shep Hyken, Willie Jolly, all the other great guys. And they were solopreneurs, but they were making seven figures. And they were working maybe 100 to 150 days a year. They were traveling around the world. And I'm going, something doesn't fit <laughs> Share the secret. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so the idea was, okay, well, which one of these worlds do I want? You know, I started my business independently at a, at a more, I won't say advanced age, but, you know, I was older uh, when I started it. And I didn't want to have the, the burden of having to carry all of the employees and everything else that was included in building a consulting firm of 200 people or so. And I love being engaged with the client. I love being, I love writing, speaking. I love being in the game of consulting. And I felt like the other way I was going to become a business owner and all I'm doing now is just kind of pushing papers around and making sure I'm leaving payroll. And it was attractive to go to those meetings with NSA because what they would do in the meetings is pull back the curtain and say, here's how I run my business. And so I learned about marketing. I learned about PR. I learned about the importance of writing a good book and how to position a book and writing a book that, I've, that I want to talk about for the next five to 10 years. Because once you write a book and it takes off, you're going to be talking about it for the next five to 10 years. So you better make sure you write a book that you want to talk about. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. And so there were so many different, just little nuances, what websites they use, what tools they use, how did they use them? Where did they get their information from? Who were they partner with? And so you started seeing a theme of, although they were solopreneurs, they weren't by themselves. They had mastermind groups. They attended association meetings. They networked like crazy. They gave back. They were constantly marketing themselves, whether it's through a podcast, through articles, through you know various things that they were doing. They were constantly putting up them, themselves out there. And if they had one book or they had 10 books, they were still going to courses about writing and, and, and book publishing to figure out how to do it better and how to network with the people who are really doing it well and learning. And I remember the first time I went to one of the meetings, I was living in the Washington, D.C. area at the time. And at that time, uh, when I first got there, there was this lady named Jan Fox who was on the news. It's like she was like an Emmy winning news reporter, so on and so forth. Well, let's say 10 years later, when I finally go to the NSA meetings, I'm sitting at a table and who's sitting next to me? Taking notes is Jan Fox. Hmm, that's awesome. So I'm thinking, okay, if Jan Fox, if this is a place where Jan Fox will come, who has won some Emmys, written book, speaks all over the world, and she's still coming here to learn, then there's something here. I love that. I love that. I'm a forever learner, and I think that there's you know always room for growth. I'm a big fan of the Kaizen philosophy, right? Just never exactly. improvement. Yep. I know that you're also a fan of culture change, and I'm interested in if you were going to distill it into a number one thing that we implement, of course, awareness is, you know, precedes any implementation, but if you were going to implement one thing that contributes to culture change, what would it be? People buy into what they create. People buy into what they create. If you're going to implement a major change in an organization, then the best thing you can do is to get a core group of the right people involved and help them, allow them to help you build it. Beautiful. So at the end of the day, it's not your solution, it's our solution. Because they're going to go back into the field and they're going to, you know, evangelize and say, this is something we created as an organization. We all had a voice in this. We thought about everything that we were going through and we made sure that it fit our, the way we do things. It speaks our language. When you do that, you will be successful. An example of that is one of my clients is a very large uh, transportation, Department of Transportation. Uh, when I got there, they had about 14,000 projects and a $16 billion budget for their six-year program. So probably one of the largest things I've ever worked on, and it's probably one of the largest things out there. And when the company, I would say three or four years previous to that, had tried to come in and do some of the similar things that we were in charge of doing. I was kind of like the subject matter expert at three developers. And they created this solution. They rolled it out, but it was extremely technical. It was, I can't say convoluted. I mean, it was a good solution, but they didn't take into consideration the people who were going to be using it. Interesting. So, so everybody who was going to be using it pushed back and said, this is not what we want. It was too much change. It was too much against the grain of what they were used to doing. And they're state employees. They're not, they weren't going to move. When we came in, we surveyed the landscape and said, wait a minute, you know, these guys are used to using this tool. They're used to doing it this way. Why don't we do all of our work first, like curb and gutter work, where you're preparing the landscape and you're preparing to build the, the, the apartment building or you're planning to build the, the shopping mall. You got to put in all the plumbing, all the roads, everything else. And so they started seeing the benefit of the solution without ever using the solution. When they finally got to use the solution, 
after taking into consideration who they were, how they worked, their culture, and where we were trying to move them to, we gave them three things to do on the screen. We taught them for like an hour and a half in a course, and then gave them three things to do so they understood the process behind it, and then we had follow-up coaching calls. As of today, you couldn't pull that solution out of their hands. They were also audited by the Federal Highway Administration and found to be number one in the country when it comes to road scheduling. We've cut the budget, we've cut the projects in half because we were able to close out a bunch of projects. They're running about 8,000 projects now. Their budget has gone up to $24 billion. Wow, congratulations. I mean, what I'm hearing as the secret sauce is buy-in, effective communication, and member contribution. That sounds like the trifecta of what made that a successful project. Thank you for sharing that. I am curious about your thoughts, Gerald, about How do we as high achieving leaders actually get a sustainable competitive edge? I call it the black box effect. And so what I mean by that is, why was KFC, I mean, even though other other companies created, you know, fried chicken, if you will, but they couldn't do what KFC did because they always had their secret recipe. You know, you think of Southwest Airlines, they have a model, they have a process in how they do things. And although American, Continental, other companies try to come up with them, unless you're going to boil down and say, we're going to fly one type of plane, have one type of engineer, have one type of pilot, and and do hub-and-spoke flights, you can't compete with Southwest. They've always been profitable as an airline. So they figured out the secret sauce that it's really difficult to imitate, even if they explained it to you, because it would require you to make so much change. So you have to figure out, as a business owner, What is your secret sauce? This episode is brought to you by Know Thyself and Lead, my free mini training that unlocks the top three secrets that you need to joyfully thrive. You'll learn the number one way to fuel action so that you're never stuck or procrastinating again. You'll crack the code and unveil your specific aligned purpose for more flow and ease, and you'll discover the way to propel you further, faster. You can binge watch all three trainings at once or at your leisure. Either way, you'll want to sign up and dive right in. Access Know Thyself and Lead at kcrossi.com slash lead. That's kcrossi.com slash lead. Now, please enjoy the show. For me, it was integrating what I had learned as a musician and all the concepts and principles I had learned as a musician, from when I first started to even now constantly growing as a musician, what I had learned as a technician and realizing that I needed to use both sides of my brain, be technical as well as uh, have the soft skills and be people-oriented, and then take into consideration the cultural aspect. So I'm combining that and also then adding in the neuroscience behind it of that there's a scientific peer-reviewed process that I use. So it becomes very difficult for anyone to then come in and go, we're going to replace what he's doing. Well, that's going to be really difficult. Extremely unique. I love that. Like I said at the top, the mashup is unique. And I love that that is your secret sauce as an imprint that you bring to the table that's very different on your personal experience. So share with us a few parallels between a great jazz ensemble and building a high-performing business and team. Well, I'd be happy to, because first thing is first, musicians are always what we call woodshedding, and that's, called, that's basically practicing. But it's not just, I'm going to go in the room and play Mary Had Land for the thousandth time, or you know, the, the box suites or whatever. 
they push themselves and they, and here's the other secret sauce for musicians. They always have a teacher. Whether they are, you know, Chikorita just passed away not too long ago. He was in his late 80s. He was still studying music. He was still doing little videos and explaining how what he was learning from listening to other people and, and composing. Musicians, because when you first start off as a musician, the first thing you need to grow is you need a teacher. And so you realize, okay, for me to go to the next level, I need a better teacher. Well, pretty soon, if you get to a certain level, it's hard to find a teacher who's, doing, who's better than you are. So then you go, well, obviously they are. Maybe, they're, maybe they're, they've passed on. So you go listen to the recordings of some of the masters. And you, you study them and you analyze them. In other words, you work on yourself first. It's kind of like the airplane, of, you know, when you're on the plane, you know, those emergency, put your mask on first, then find the kid that you love the most, put it on them, and then the next one, and so on. But, I, but the idea is that you put it on first. So really working on your skills first. Second is that now that you've worked on it and you're really good at what you do, when musicians come together, they then focus on the big picture. They leave their egos at the door if it's a good band if it's a good ensemble, they leave their egos at the door. And then when they start the music, they're now intently listening to each other for the flow and the groove of where this is going. And you can tell it. It's like if it's a concert, it's like, yeah, it's okay. Well, they're good musicians, but they weren't listening. Mm -hmm. But if you go to a concert and you get emotionally moved and swept up into the music, then you have musicians who are really, they're good at what they do, but they've submitted themselves to the music and to each other to really listen. What I found in business is when you have a team of experts who are focused on the mission of the project, if you will, and they come to the table and their first focus is, we're here to learn and listen how to make this better. Not to just you know, put out my solution or what, what I think should work or what I did with this other client that worked better. No, I'm here to listen to your problem, to your situation, and then add my secret sauce or add my, what I've been working on to that to make it better. Absolutely. I love that synergistic approach. Right. And again, going back to contribution and how do we pool all of our unique resources to make something in the end that is just absolutely stunning, unique, and beautiful. One of the things that came to mind when you first mentioned musicians always having a mentor, always having a teacher is knowing which teacher to choose. Because I first started taking piano when I was seven and I studied with that same teacher for six years. And then I went to the Eastman School of Music. And one of the very first things my That's teacher- a good school. Yeah, she said, okay, now we have to unteach you what you did for the last six years because you know this is the the new path the new way the the way for everything so I think that distinction of like really being so specific when you choose your mentor making sure that they have that themselves achieved yes. those goals that you want I think it's just a, a little side note to the valuable info that you shared so I'm curious, Gerald, because I know that a lot of people, especially you mentioned the pandemic, we're still kind of like, you know, even though it's been over a year, we're really still kind of trying to get our sea legs, especially even on an emotional level. Right. And I'm curious if you have any tips for individuals that are currently feeling stuck, what can they do to get back on track? So I have this, so productivity intelligence is one of the things that I've been, I've created and creating that 
helps with that because my focus is, is on, you know, for myself and for other high achievers. And the idea behind that is it's one, it's, it's concepts, it's articles, it's, I'm partnered with a group called Learning Strategies where they have a, uh, a set a, of music programs or audio programs that use a technology called Holosync and um, some, some additional things in there that basically allows you to help reset your mind. So it's almost like it takes you into a deep meditation. And it, is, it really helps you to, to, if you're in a funk or feeling overwhelmed, and one, it takes you into different brainwave states, like from uh, into alpha, into theta, into delta, um, with some affirmations that really helps kind of ground you and reset you to mentally come out feeling like, okay, I can do this now. I have confidence. I'm more grounded. I have I've taken a, a mental vacation, if you will, and refreshed my brain to a point where I can now handle, because a lot of what happens to us there's a great book by a guy named Bill Harris called Thresholds of the Mind, where what happens to us is that life puts us in a pressure cooker. And uh, that pressure cooker is like being on a one, you know, on a, uh, on a two-lane highway. There's only, you, know, you, go, you can only go one, on, one, on the right or uh, left lane. But there's so much pressure that all the traffic starts backing up. Well, the only way, only way around that is to expand the highway, right? Is expand the highway, which is called an open system. Our bodies and our brains are able to do that, but if we do it on our own, most of the time without things like meditation or yoga or uh, uh, qigong or other energy things along that line, they stay stagnant and we keep that one lane, that, that two lane highway going and the pressure that we're under, the capacity isn't there to be able to handle that. And so by using tools like you know, some of the learning strategy preliminaries uh, that, I, that, I, that I'm, I advertise on my website are things that I've written in my book about uh, exercises and, and things along that line. It helps you expand your brain's capability to be able to now handle more with ease, if that makes any sense. Because a lot of times we get overwhelmed, especially as we're trying to go through what we're dealing with, dealing with and it's the, the problem is that our capacity to handle it isn't as great as it needs to be. And so we have to expand it, but you have to know how to expand that capacity. Interesting. So I'm curious because you have integrated two passions, your music passion and leadership and work productivity. So you have literally combined the work-life balance, right? For your day-to-day. So I'm curious, how else do you uh, tap into that synergy and integration for yourself? Because they're already combined for your quote-unquote J-O-B. So right. how else do you um, see it come to, to life? Well, I mean, I, I have my routines, and I kind of plan out my day because, again, I'm running two companies, and both of them are pretty busy. A lot, there's a lot going on. But when I get up in the morning, I have a routine of um, I do scripture reading. I do prayer. I do Qigong. I have a, um, a book that I carry with me even when I travel, that I, that I write out my affirmations. So my goals, uh, I write them as affirmations. And, then, and I can't say I do it every day, but I do it pretty consistently, is to write them out by hand and just have at least 30 minutes to just kind of stop and meditate 
and visualize where am I going, what's going on. And then out of that, normally one or two ideas will come of, hey, this can help me move forward in this area. I exercise. I have a, a Peloton and a, and a treadmill. So I, I do 30 minutes of, of exercise uh, a, a day, uh, at least six days a week on that. And, and even with moderation, as you see, my arm's in a sling. I have a torn rotator cuff. I've had to adjust and go, okay, so I'll have to do moder- you know, moderate my exercise, but I still do it. I still get on the bike. I still get on the treadmill. And by having a routine and also reading books and learning from others who are really getting the results you want and look at what, what are some of their routines. Some of them, they might not fit your lifestyle or what you want. But others, they may give you ideas. And so I've carved mine out over time from, you know, either books I've read or people I've met where the ideas have come and I found something that fits for me, that works, that allow, gives me energy. And here's something else I do. In the middle of the day, I take a nap. It depends on, and, and I'll, I'll usually have some like meditative music and I'll set my phone for like 30 minutes. I'll put my earphones on and I'll close my office door. I have, a, I have a futon in my office and I'll curl up on it. I'll mute the television in the background because I'm with that little poster. It's my television. And I will just close my eyes and take a 30 minute nap. And because the, the music puts me in alpha wave, even if I don't sleep, I get up rested because my brain has calmed down and regrouped. And Thomas Edison did that all the time. My best ideas come when I'm either napping or uh, before my arm, I would go out and hit golf balls. And sometimes I would just go to the golf range and for 30 minutes hit golf balls. And I get amazing business ideas because I've gotten away from the work and I've given my brain a break. I think that's so very important, especially to understand that as a high performer, that some of your highlights come up during the creative space during the stillness, during times that you're taking advantage of that relaxation brainwave. And yes. I feel that especially for people that are in the grind and they push and they, they're really you know into their metrics and analytics, sometimes they don't give themselves that. They, don't, they look at it almost like a luxury. Right. But what I'm hearing and what, I really required. and what I'm appreciating is the fact that we have to put that in there. I love that you bake in spirituality in your AM bookend by reading scripture. I love the fact that you're consistent, but you also, it doesn't sound like you put this pressure to be perfect. And and when we do that, I think it comes off robotic and it doesn't have that authentic flow. The other thing I want to underscore to your AM um, routine is the fact that you are capitalizing on neuroscience by writing down your goals in the form of an affirmation. Because when we write it down, we then become part of that 1% of the top performers because we're focused, conscious, and writing it down. So you got a great recipe, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing that. If people want to learn more about you, workplace jazz and all the amazing things that you've got going on under your umbrella, how can they take a step closer to your world? They can go to productivityintelligenceinstitute.com. Productivityintelligenceinstitute.com. Beautiful. I will make sure to put that link in the show notes so it's super easy for them to connect with you. And if you wanted to leave our listeners with a final piece of bright light wisdom, what would you like to share? Never stop learning. Love it. 
Never stop learning. Beautiful, my friend. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom. Thank you very much for having me, Casey. Take care. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, feel free to head over to lovethepodcast.com slash brilliance to leave a review. And Karenski925 from the U.S. says, refreshing, fun, and actionable. Casey is warm and engaging while pulling out these golden nuggets and tips for living a successful life and having a thriving time in business. As an entrepreneur, it's very refreshing to have her as a resource for my business, yet she still addresses me as a whole person, which is so important. Thanks, Casey. And thank you, Karen. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts about the Women Developing Brilliance podcast. If you want to do the same, head over to lovethepodcast.com slash brilliance. Thank you.